You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Uh, we're so glad to have you. Maybe you came during the music portion or maybe you came during the, the, next, the last song. My name is J.D. Miller. My wife and I, the beautiful lady who was here on stage, is taken. And uh, she's been taken for 16 years. And uh, yes, yes, we have procreated with passion. And two pregnancies have produced three beautiful girls. Yes, uh, two of them are twins, uh, Pepe and Clo-Clo, but they are more far apart than our eldest one. It's incredible. You're going to get to see them today, probably, because they're all over the place. Uh, but we're so glad you're here, and it's been our joy to just rub shoulders with locals here in Connecticut. We come from uh, Houston, Texas. Originally, I was born in Brazil, but lived in Texas for quite some time, and uh, we were serving there at a, a, a church in, in Houston, and then something happened in our hearts, and my wife grew up in Connecticut, and we felt like we were supposed to come here, and that we were supposed to start a church. And in the beginning, it seemed like a crazy, crazy idea. In fact, one person, I was sitting with, with somebody I had just met in a coffee shop, and somebody walked up to us, and he said, hey, you should meet with this guy. This guy is a, a, a personal coach. He coaches people, kind of like what you do being a pastor, right? You coach people. It's like, yeah, similar. And uh, so this guy, the, the person standing next to a table, asks, oh, great, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. We're starting a church in Connecticut. He said, wow, that's, that's, incur- that, that's, uh, what, what, that's brave. Most churches are closing down here. <laughs> and he walked right off. <laughs> I don't think he understood what we're about. <laughs> But today, we're so glad to be uh, uh, three years going here with a community that has been growing out of a grassroots movement, really. So I want to share a message with you today as we do every week. I don't speak too long, uh, about 25 minutes or so, but I want to speak some hope into you. Are we okay with that? Speak some life into you, give you some encouragement, because today is a really special day. I don't know if you're a Christian, if you're a church person, maybe you're not. Maybe you came here this morning because you wanted to have some fun with your family, and we we are having some fun here, and we're going to have some more fun over there. The taco truck is on. Tacos are being cooked, all right? The eggs are all along the the hallway there and in the gym, and the blow-up inflatables are up, ready for kids to be sweaty and sharing germs. Why? My wife says that I'm a germophobic. I'm not a germophobic. I am germ conscious. I am germ conscious. You can take that. You can steal that, okay? You can steal that. Listen, this year has been a special year for us. And we, we, at the beginning of the year, we felt uh, like God put a word in our hearts for the community. Not only, when I say community, I don't mean connect community. I mean our local Stanford and region here community. Community. And the word that we felt is that, that we should speak over you is that this is your year to advance. This is your year to move forward. This is the year where areas of your life will, that have been stagnant, areas of your life where you have felt paralyzed, areas of your life when in your soul you felt like you can't move forward or break away from, this is the year you're going to break away from. 
This is the year where better things will happen to you. It's not going to be just a regular year, a year where you're going to go by again, another winter, another spring, another summer, and nothing new. No, this is going to be a year of newness where you will advance. You will see progress in areas of your life that you haven't seen progress in a while. So we began that theme in January, and uh, we kind of established the theme in January with four messages uh, establishing this idea of advancement. And we took February to speak advancement in your relationships. How many were here for his and hers? That's great. I expect some babies out of that, because, you know, for people who are married, yeah, we want to see something come out of that. We spoke some hope into your marriage, and uh, in March, last month, we talked about becoming stronger. Even through our weaknesses on a series called Stronger. And today I want to kick off our April series. And we're calling it Born Again. Born Again is the title of our April series that we're kicking off today. Now I know this, this is a bit old school for some of you. And for some of you this has been a sentence, a combination of two words used to describe almost like a sect of Christianity, right? What kind of Christian are you? I'm a Methodist. I am a Catholic. No, I'm a born-again Christian. And it sounds like, ugh, what is that? It sounds like a cult. What kind of people say that they're born again? That's just weird. But that's not what this uh, term uh, was intended to to express. See, being born again is not really a religion. In fact, Jesus was the person who first shared this thought. And it's early in the pages of the book of John when he talks to a person and he shares this idea of being born again. And the last thing on Jesus's mind was to start a religion when he said to be born again. He was talking about a new way of life. In fact, he was talking to a religious person and he was dismantling, ending, he was fulfilling the religion of that time. He was saying, listen, the way that you are doing things, the exclusive way that you are doing things, the way that you are doing things that kind of like you need to be part of the club, that's going away. I am landing that plane. I am fulfilling it. It is, it's going to be finished because people are going to have the ability to be born again. And I think that there's no better day to start such a subject. Not only because it's spring and the sun is out. How many of you are glad that the sun is out? Yes, it's good, right? Flowers are blooming and you can leave your heavy coats back in the coat closet until next winter. Or maybe tomorrow because there might be some snow. But it is spring. But that's not the main reason. The reason is because what today represents. Today represents something powerful. Today is the day that changed everything. Today is the day that changed the world as we know it. Without Easter, without Resurrection Sunday, there wouldn't be a world as we know it. Today is the day that changed everything. Without Easter, there wouldn't be no churches. Without Easter, there wouldn't be no disciples. Without Easter, there wouldn't be no BC or AD or BC and BCE, however you choose to write it. Without Easter, there wouldn't be Western civilization as we know it, really. Because Resurrection Sunday changed everything. Without Easter, there would be no Christmas. Today is the day that changed everything. And Jesus, in his journey, he began to give an idea of what was about to happen. He, he gave 
not only hints, he gave the synopsis of what was going to happen and what his life was meant to be about. And he began early in his ministry. And I want to focus today on a conversation that he's had. He had with a man named Nicodemus. And we find this conversation in John 3. If you have a Bible or if you have an app, you can open up. And we're going to reference to it throughout this talk. Jesus encountered a man named Nicodemus. And this was an interesting encounter because unlike many of the others in, other encounters found in Scripture, this was not an encounter marked by miracles. There was no miracles. Nicodemus really didn't need any physical help from Jesus. It wasn't a, a meeting between two religious people where one was confronting the other, which is found in the Scripture quite often. People coming to Jesus to confront him and to see what, what, what are you about and trying to test him. This was a man who was a religious man, but he came to Jesus with questions because he needed answers. And even though he was a religious man, he saw something in Jesus that was different. Now, I'm going to draw two lessons that are applicable to you from this conversation that you can apply today here in 2718. Whoop. My mind started at 16 <laughs> in 2018. Yes, 2018. Two lessons that you can apply here. These lessons are connected to today, to Easter. They're also connected to our series, Born Again. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Nicodemus, because you, you have to understand. It's important to understand who he was so that we can understand what the conversation meant. Nicodemus was a man seeking understanding. He was a religious leader. He had a title. He had a pedigree. He had an education. He was a respected man. He wore robes. Robes that showed the world what a powerful man he was. He was, in fact, a ruler. Now, today, when we read about Jesus meeting with a religious person, we think of Jesus as a religious man. Sometimes we even think of Jesus as a religion, a religion unto itself. But back in those days, we have to understand that in first century uh, Israel, a religious man such as Nicodemus was also a ruler of the people. See, Israel was under Roman rule. And Israel, uh, the, the nation of Israel, was a province of the Roman rule. And Rome had about four kings, the Tetrarchs, that ruled different provinces. And Herod was over Israel. So Israel didn't really have their own king. They were looking for a king. They didn't have one, but they did have a governing body that enforced their laws. And their law was the law of God, was the Torah, was the Old Testament. That was their law. And a Pharisee was a person who had authority, not only religious authority, political authority. So in 2018's eyes, we can look at that scripture and think they were peers. No, they were not peers. Nicodemus was a man of power. Nicodemus was somebody who had a position, a title. He was a ruler. Yet he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Because there's something about Jesus that strikes him. He was supposed to be the guy who knew about God. He was supposed to be the man who knew about the things of God. But yet here comes Jesus. And what Jesus does is it blows his mind. So he comes to Jesus and a conversation begins. John chapter 3 verse 2 says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. In other words, he's saying we, 
the teachers of the law, we the rulers, we the people who have been studying the law for almost 2,000 years, we know that you are from God because the things you do, there's nothing, there's nothing that, that, that no other power that can do what you do. There's nothing else that can perform the things that you do. But we are standing on two, nearly 2,000 years of scriptures, of history. And that's as far as, as we can go. That's the only thing we know. The only thing we are sure of is that the things that you do, the, the way that you, that you operate, the things that you do, it, have to, it has to be from God. Your abilities, your power, they have to come from God. Again, this, this was a man with a title, with a degree. If he lived today, I could say that he, lived, he worked on a, on a tall building and his office was the corner office with the view of the park. If Nicodemus lived today, he would be the guy with a private minibar in his office and, and he probably had a private restroom. Hey-oh. He was a man with the power. He, had, he was somebody. He was compelled to come to Jesus yet. And perhaps the reasons why Nicodemus came to Jesus are the same reasons why you came here today, aside from the chocolate. Perhaps the reasons that, that took Nicodemus to Jesus by night, in the middle of the night, are the same reasons that bring you to a place like this today. See, we are all on a quest. Like Nicodemus, even though he was a man of the cloth, even though he was somebody who was supposed to know about God, there was something else on the inside. There was a yearning, a search, something that he said, I'm still not, I, I, there's something about life that I still haven't discovered. There's something about life that I still haven't tapped into and you seem to get it. You seem to have it. What is it about you that is different from us? Because we have been doing this for a while, but yet there's something about you that is beyond our comprehension and understanding. Maybe you're here today and there's a search, there's a quest, there's a yearning in your heart and you were searching for something. Maybe you thought that the career that you chose would take you to that place of discovery, would take you to that place where you would discover your purpose. Maybe you thought the relationship you began, the relationship you started would take you to that place of bliss, that place of fulfillment, where you would get to that point where, ah, life makes sense. Everything has, has come together and lightened up. But you couldn't help it but get to that place where you felt like there was something else that you haven't tapped into. Something else about life that you haven't quite connected in, in those relationships and, and, your, and your career didn't quite get you there. And here you are today. And there was Nicodemus. And Jesus sensed Nicodemus' quest. So you want to know somebody's quest? Listen to their questions. Their quest, their quest is in their questions. You want to know your, your child's quest? You want to know your friend's quest? You want to know your co-worker's quest? Really pay attention to their questions. And here was Nicodemus. Nicodemus searching for something. Looking for something. Coming to Jesus by night. Perhaps because he didn't want to be found out. Perhaps because he didn't want to start something. Do you want to be starting something? That's how my mind works, guys. I'm moonwalking right here, right now. Back to the word. <laughs> and Jesus answers. Jesus answers not only to his question, 
It was really a statement. Jesus answers to his quest. Jesus goes straight to the point. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this made no sense. This statement made no sense because Jesus is talking about being born again. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a logical man. I know it may sound weird to you or may sound off because he was a religious man. But Nicodemus was a logical man. He lived in a logical world. He depended of material things for every single experience with God. Everything went through something that he could see or touch or smell. Everything that involved a relationship with God went through an avenue that was physical. You know, you want a forgiveness, you got to sacrifice an animal. Blood sacrifice gives you forgiveness. It was, it was a, what they did back then. I know it sounds weird for us, but that's, that's what the name of the game. That's, that, that was the name of the game. You know, God lived in a temple. God lived, God had a dwelling place, an actual place, a temple. Jesus spoke from that temple and he taught in that temple several times. That was God's dwelling place. You know, there was a science to things in Nicodemus's world. You know, there was the smoke and the fat and there was the veil and there was the Ark of the Covenant and there was the law and the scriptures. Everything in their history and their present time had a method that was physical. It, it had to make sense in a physical, natural realm. You broke the law. You were punished. You were a sinner. You were cast out. Everything was represented in a physical way. And here comes Jesus telling Nicodemus that he had to be born again. Naturally, he thought, Jesus, you don't mean to be born again. You can't. This makes no sense. Certainly, you don't mean a new way of life because we are it. That's what circumcision is about. That's what the, the covenant with Abraham is about. Certainly you don't mean that we got to be uh, uh, some kind of special people. Remember, I'm Jewish. I'm the special person. And he says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? To be born, being born again made no sense. He couldn't see it. It made no sense for Nicodemus. He couldn't see it. So Jesus pushed him a little further. Jesus said, you got to think differently, Nicodemus. You, you, you are not thinking the way that you're supposed to think. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And that makes me wonder. Because Nicodemus was looking for natural solutions for spiritual problems. And it makes me wonder here today, how many of us today are on a natural pursuit of spiritual things? How many of us here today are on a natural pursuit of things that can only be attained in the spirit? Pursuing things in the natural realm to satisfy a yearning of the spirit. 
whether it's substance, relationship, career, money, whatever it is that you're looking for in the natural realm like Nicodemus. I got to be able to touch it. I got to be able to to have it. I got to be able to smell it. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. This is a spiritual quest. Your quest is on the inside. Your quest is spiritual. It's not natural. You cannot achieve that through the natural. You can only achieve that through the spirit. And for that, you need to be born again. Maybe you are here today and you are looking at your life with the natural eyes, trying to achieve in the natural sense things that can only be achieved in the spirit. Maybe you're here today and you banked on your career to guide you to your destination. You banked on that relationship to guide you to a place of bliss. You banked on on things of this world to satisfy your spirit, but you haven't gotten there yet. This is what happens. If you put spiritual expectations on natural things, you will live frustrated. You'll be frustrated at work. You'll be frustrated at home. You'll be frustrated in your nice house. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's good that you have a good house. Good on you for having a great education and having knowledge. Good on you for having a great marriage and a good relationship. Those are good things. But if you put your spiritual expectations and your spiritual quest, the heaviness and the weight of it on those natural things, you will live frustrated. You will not be happy at work. You will not be happy at home. And you will be let down. Got to be born again. That's our first lesson. If you want to solve spiritual things, you've got to be born again. That's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. And he continues on this synopsis of his life, of his purpose, of what today, Easter, is all about. Jesus went on to tell Nicodemus, listen, Nicodemus, not only do you need to be born again, but you got to understand what I'm here for. Not only to give you a new life, not only to give you and everyone an opportunity to be born again, but as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, chapter 14, uh, verse 14, So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, if you read the Bible, or maybe this is the first time that you hear this passage, you can brush right over it and go like, that makes no sense. Or you can brush right over it and go like, all right, that's cool. But Nicodemus knew what Jesus was talking about. He knew exactly what Jesus was referring to. See, he was a studied man. He knew the Torah, and Jesus was speaking in his language. But it makes me wonder, why did Jesus pick that part? There was so much from the Old Testament that Jesus could have picked. There were so many prophecies about his life that he could have pinpointed and said, I am this guy. He could have gone to Isaiah, talking about how he was going to be bruised and how, you know, our, our, our sins would be laid upon him. But he picked this passage, this part with the serpent. Now, let me fill you in on what this means. This, this passage is tucked in in the Old Testament in Numbers 22 in your Bible. And it's a short little description of what happened back when the people of Israel were still in the desert. See, the people of Israel had been rescued from Egypt into the desert. They were in slavery. They were being beaten and oppressed. They had lost their spirit. They're, they're, they had lost their hope. They didn't know how to get out of it. So they began to cry out to God like many of us do when we are in a situation where we can't see forward. They begin to cry out to God and say, God, please, would you rescue us? God remembered his promise. He rescued them. And now they're in the desert. And in the desert, they have everything they need. They have warmth by night. They have a cloud during the day that keeps them cool. And they have food falling down from heaven every single day. They have water coming from the rock. 
Their needs are supplied. But this is what happened. The people of Israel began to complain. They grew tired. They were impatient and they were complaining and complaining and complaining. And every time they complained, God forgave them. And every time they rebelled against God, God forgave them. And they came to this point where they said, we loathe this food. We loathe this life. I, we miss Israel, uh, uh, Egypt. At one point, they even said, take us back to Egypt, a land that flows with milk and honey. See, they were so, the poison in their hearts was so deep in that they started to see their past, the bad past, the oppression, the slavery, as something good. And here they are in the desert. This is what happened. This time, God sent fiery serpents. And serpents started biting people and they started dying. How's that for encouraging on an Easter Sunday, huh? They started dying. And this is what happens. This time they repented. They repented and they said, please, please, Moses, we have, we have sinned. So ask God to take these serpents away from us. So this is what God told Moses. Build a, build a serpent and raise it up in the air. And everyone who sees the serpent, if they are bitten by a fiery serpent, they will be healed. Now, why would Jesus use that scripture? Why would Jesus use that passage? Listen, with natural eyes, if we look at this scripture with natural eyes, the passage about the serpents, we can look at it and think, well, Jesus, our God, was fed up with the people. God was fed up with the people. They were rebellious and God was fed up with them. And God just got back at them and sent some serpents to kill them all. But that's not what happened. See, this is what God was giving them. God was giving them a natural picture of what had already happened in the spirit. This was a powerful lesson that God was giving them. It was a natural picture of their spiritual reality. The real poison in the people's lives were on the inside. Their destiny was already taken by the poison on their inside, by the complaint, by the insolence, by everything that was just devouring them from the inside. And what God had to do is say, listen, this is what's already happening. You're already dead, dead on the inside. What was happening on the outside was a representation of what's on the inside. And when Jesus juxtaposed his death on the cross, when he juxtaposed his sacrifice, when he tells Nicodemus, listen, Nicodemus, there will be a day. Where the Son of Man will be raised like the serpent in the desert. There will be a day when the Son of Man will be raised. And everybody who sees them, Him will not perish. Everyone who believes in Him will not perish. Jesus was giving us a picture. And He was telling us this. I have come to take away the poison. I have come to take away that which is killing you on the inside. I have come to take it away. I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to cast you out. I didn't come to give you judgment. I have come to save you. And he goes on to say, for the Son of Man, did not, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, I don't know what's pressuring against you today I don't know what kind of pressure you're in I don't know what you're facing I don't know what kind of thing you're facing today and this is our second lesson from this passage whatever you're facing you got to know that Jesus came to save and his life represents salvation to every single one of us 
Every one of us can receive this salvation. Every one of us can receive this new life when we are born again. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what kind of poison is pressuring against you. I don't know what kind of, of, of serpent is trying to bite you and take your mind off of your purpose. See, sometimes things can creep in in our hearts and we can see things with eyes that are negative. That are putting us down constantly. Jesus came to take away the poison. Maybe you're here today and you can't be satisfied. You can't find contentment. Maybe you look at your life and you can't see anything positive. You know, winter comes. Oh, there comes the snow. Spring is here. Look at the flowers. No, too much pollen. Look at the summer. Oh, too hot. Let me go inside. Here's the fall. Big deal about picking apples. That's a silly example. Or maybe there's something deeper on the inside. You don't know how to be satisfied and to be complete. You can't look at your life and believe that there's a brighter future. It just can't happen. You can't pass beyond that limitation. You look at your life and you see distress. You look at your life and you don't have hope. You look at people around you and you can't believe in them. You can't love them because you can't love yourself. You can't see a brighter future in their lives. And you have people around you. And you can't believe in them. You can't see a way forward in your life. Let me tell you, that's, that's, that's not you. That's not who you were meant to be. That's the poison of this world. And Jesus came to take away the poison. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus started this, and he gave this picture to Nicodemus. And not too far later, not too far after they had this conversation, something amazing began to happen about two or three years later. When Jesus hung on the cross, and he took every single pain and every single suffering upon him, his body, and he took all the hate and all the division and all the destruction that was in their world, See, this was not a nice time that Jesus lived in. But he took it all in. And he buried it in the tomb. And on that third day, when the stone was rolled away, every single thing that was put on his body was transformed. Every pain and sorrow was turned into strength. Every word of hate and every pain was turned into love. Everything that was get. get Take put on him to destroy him was turned into something beautiful and bright and eternal. And he made it available to all of us. Something amazing began to happen. Jesus' disciples, after the resurrection, every single thing Jesus said and did became alive in them. Now this group of people, about 120 of them, are together in a room sharing talking and all of a sudden Peter stands and begins to tell him about what Jesus did and 3,000 people were joined and now you have a bigger group and that group begins to grow and grow a bunch of nobodies see this was a world where Nicodemus's world was a world where you were only noticed and you were only valuable if you had wealth if you had power and if you had status you were not heard you were a nobody if you didn't have those things. 
But now you have this group of people, this group of nobodies with a new life on the inside, with a new kind of hope on the inside. They could see a way beyond it. They could see a way forward. Why? Because they had been born again. They had spiritual eyes. They had looked at Jesus on the cross and the poison was taken away from their lives. And they began to say things like, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. That was unheard of. If you, you begin to, think, to say things like, if your enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. They begin to say things like, husbands, you got to love your wives. Like Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. What? Why love my wife? Why give my life for her? I could just return her. It's true. Get a new one. Why would I do that? This was a world of many poisons. This was a world where slavery was the norm. This was a world where, it's, where women had no voice. They were second class. They couldn't even testify in court. This was a world where, ch where children were not valuable. They were not valued. This was a world with many poisons, yet this group of nobodies begin to speak a different kind of life. They begin to give a different type of hope for the world, which really birthed the kind of movements that we see today. Really. They begin to say things like, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I got to tell you, the significance of Easter, the significance of Jesus' resurrection has an undeniable link between His resurrection. There's an undeniable link between His resurrection and your life here today. Many of the ideals that we speak of, of equality, many of the ideals that we speak of, of human rights, Begin at that moment. The seeds were sown at that moment. And I know when you speak of human rights and equality, a bunch of headlines, headlines from news come to your mind and you think, oh man, is he going to go political now? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about how to run our country. I'm talking about how to run our lives. Something deeper. The search and the yearning on the inside. The similarity between your life and Nicodemus's life meets at the point of the spiritual yearning that we have. We want life. We want hope. We want the things that Jesus came to bring. We want the things that God has offered us. But we had no access before the resurrection. It is because of the resurrection that every single one has called unto God. That God has reached every single person and he has reconciled the world unto himself and now we can experience life now we can experience forgiveness now we can find a way forward and if you're here today and this sounds a bit strange to you sounds just like a bunch of preaching I ask you to experience it because you got to ask yourself how come 2,000 years later churches are still filled up every single where in the world to celebrate every single place in the world to celebrate this day Everywhere in the world, there are places in auditoriums like this filled up with people. Could it be true? Yes. I want to invite you today to reconsider. This is a call to be born again on the inside. Without prejudice. Without prejudice. Maybe you've been to church before. But it wasn't good. And that's on us. Maybe you've had an experience 
with church before that wasn't positive. Maybe your view of God is far from the view of God in the Bible. Maybe you're not even sure. Maybe you're a theist. You're like, yeah, maybe there's a God somewhere. But I'm not really sure that Jesus is it. I just want to invite you not into a religion, not to be a member of this church, not to be part of anything other than take a step. Like Nicodemus, consider, rethink. Because you have a spiritual yearning on the inside that can be fulfilled by what Jesus did on the cross. I want to ask you to stand if you don't mind. Do you receive it this morning?